So I just love the water, which is why last week I was, it was such a blessing to be able to talk about Psalm 23 verse 2, where we were able to sit down by the, the, the calm waters for a bit. And last week we talked about how that verse is really bringing out that our shepherd, our savior Jesus, that he is a shepherd who makes it so that we can find real rest, that we don't have to keep searching, searching, searching for the things that we need or for the things that we think will fill us or give us real life, that we find it all in him, that he did it all for us on the cross, that he rested on that Sabbath day, and that in him, because he's done it all, we can find rest for everything we need. Today we're going to move forward, and our verse 3 of Psalm 23 is a bit more active, and yet it is just as life-giving as the verse we just went through last week. Verse 3 begins, he restores or he brings back my soul. Now when we read the word soul in God's word, especially in the Old Testament, it's good for us to, to realize that the way they thought about the word that was used there is, is a little bit different than the way we typically think about it. So when we think about the word soul, a lot of times we are thinking about specifically like what that, that's more like your spirit, like that which is separate from your body. You've got your body and your soul. But the word in the original language, the Hebrew word nefesh, it, it, it describes all of you, like your body, your soul, your mind, your spirit, the whole thing, which if you think about it, it makes sense because biblically God created us to be both physical and spiritual united in one. It's sin that broke that apart. It's sin that makes it so that there's death and, and our body and, and soul separate. But, but biblically, the idea and, and what we're ultimately hoping for and looking forward to is resurrection where again, we are body and soul united perfectly. In, in, in God's word, it's, it's not so much that you have a nephesh, but you are a nephesh. So when you think about this verse, it's really describing the whole of you, that he brings back the whole of you. That your life, all of it, your, your mind, your, your body, but also at the core of who you are, that he brings it back. And then he leads you on paths of righteousness. Now this verse, it might seem a little bit different than verse 2, because verse 2 we were just talking about how you can rest. Well, now we're talking about going on a, on a path. The two verses, don't worry, they're not contradicting at all, but what they're doing is they're shifting the picture, the illustration a bit. In verse 2, we're talking about how you find everything you need in him. You don't have to search for what you need anywhere else. You're finding in him. Well, in this verse, a picture is being used. For, that's pretty common in God's word, that walking along a path, is it's a picture of how you go about and how you live your life. How you go about your life. It, it's like walking along a path. And in this verse, it says that he leads us. So he goes before us and leads us along our path as we walk along this right, this life. And he leads us in paths of righteousness, paths that are right. God is the one who, of course, created this world. He's the designer of this world. He knows how this life is meant to work. He knows how things are supposed to go. He knows the right way for life to be what he created it to be. Which is great news then that he's the one who leading he's leading us. Um, you know when you're going somewhere and then when you're walking and I'm again I'm back in a state park again here today. If you uh, if you don't have a map with you, it's especially comforting when you have somebody with you who knows the way to get where you want to go. And or at least if you don't have that person with you, you want to have the map that can tell you where to go because being lost in the woods. Is a scary thing. I'm not lost right now. I think I, I, I do know the right way to go. But you know, as we think about walking along the path of life, 
and we think about how beautiful it is that we have a shepherd who goes before us to lead us, we also have to be honest about the fact that a lot of times we don't want to go follow the leader on the path. You know, as we go about our lives, I just want you to think about like how often during the day do you really think about, okay, what, what direction God wants me to go? What, what, what direction does God want me to do? And, and, and hopefully as, as a Christian, there are many times that we do do that, but there may be also many times in our life where we just go whatever feels right to us at the time. We just take whatever path seems right, you know, and, and, and maybe, maybe in the big decisions, you know, like, okay, I need to pray to God about this because this is a big decision. But what about the little ones? What about how you spend your time today? Or what about how you're going to talk to that person that you see today at work? Or what about, uh, you know, what you're going to do when you get home and you're with your family and you spend the time? What about the smaller things? Are you looking for him to lead you there? Or are you going just whatever other direction feels right or you think is right at the time? There's a problem, though, to living that way. And, that's, and that problem is, is I'm, I'm thankful for, for the image that God's Word uses here of walking along a path. Because it, it, walking along a path, that picture can help us see the problem that comes. When you are walking on a hiking trail, and if you don't have someone who knows where they're going, or you don't have the map, or you're not following the map, you can get lost. And getting lost is a scary feeling. But it can go even beyond that. There, there's something sometimes along a, a, a trail, and I don't see any along this trail here, um, but sometimes they have, have signs along the way encouraging you to stay on the trail. Because if you go off the trail, some of the signs might tell you that, that if you go off the trail, that the, the territory around it is, is really sensitive, and you could actually cause hurt to the environment around you if you don't stay on the trail. The other thing, though, sometimes might be and I was thinking of when we go to one of our favorite state parks, Peninsula State Park, is, is there's some trails along the way that have signs that say poison ivy. And if you go off that trail and just go wherever you want into these woods, there's a very good likelihood that you're going to get some poison ivy. You want to stay on that trail. And the thing is, in our lives, when, when, when we don't just follow where the shepherd's leading us, where we go off wherever we want, you know what happens? It hurts the world around us and it poisons us. It poisons our lives. It poisons our souls. It poisons who we are. It's not good. The result is, is the broken world that we live in and ultimately death and separation from God. But in this verse, there's just something, oh man, there's something Something here that's just, I'm still just pondering it and, and I just, I'm going to keep pondering it for a while. Is the statement that he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The, 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 the concept of God's name in scripture is that thing that I just want to keep thinking about more and more. Because the more I look at it, man, it's all over in God's word. He talks about, about, about his name and the significance of his name and, and keeping his name. But it's not just keeping his name. He talks about how he puts his name here and he puts his name there. It's more than just that people use... God's name. It's that God places his name on people and in places and in things. What I mean is, is that, that often God's word or God's name is associated with God's presence and God's power. Like God will talk about how his, his name was in the tabernacle or he'll talk about, there's even scripture that talks about like God's name approaching you, you know, like, like personified, like there's power there. Then Jesus talks about praying in his name. There, there's a real personal 
powerful thing going on with the name of God. Which, if you think about it, makes sense. My uh, journeys, I made it back now to the lower level of the church. And uh, in the church, you know, we have, uh, we have some things, a number of things where you can sign your name and take and sign your name. Like, for instance, upstairs um, in, in, the, in the Cottage Grove location, we have these, these really nice greeting cards. Or like, this is a thinking of you with all my heart card. And one of the things that you would do in the card is write your name. Why? So people know who it comes from. But also because it, it, it's one of those things that when you, when you sign your name, you're show, showing this is this comes personally from me. That this is something that, that I wrote. This is a message I am giving you. It, it's something that, that, that I am personally involved in for you. You sign your name in a card like that. Or in the upper level too, again, of the worship area in Cottage Grove, but also on the table in Fort Atkinson, you find the registration forms for camp and for Camp Rise. And when you fill these out, there's sections where parents are to sign their names. They need to put down their signature. And they put down their signature, why? Uh, to show that they've seen this, that they personally have worked on this. It also, in some, uh, some instances, it, it's a parent showing that they're basically, that they're vouching like, yeah, I'm agreeing to this. I personally am agreeing to this. I am, um, I am being responsible for this child and for their health. And I'm responsible for the information that is in here. When you put your name on something, it, it's showing a personal involvement um, that you have personally worked on it and that, uh, that you're personally responsible for it. It's the same kind of thing when you think about verse 3 here of Psalm 23. When it says, when he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. God is, is, is telling us that his shepherd, that our shepherd, is personally involved in the paths of, our, of your life, of our lives. That our shepherd takes it personally. That he's personally vouching that he's going to lead you in paths of righteousness. That he is personally responsible for leading you, for leading us in a path of righteousness. In this Lent season, we're especially reminded of just how personally our shepherd takes our lives and takes our paths. Because this Lent season, we're reminded that God himself, when he saw that we kept wandering off the path or kept going the wrong direction, when God saw that, God said, I'm going to walk the path for them. God the Son took on human flesh and became the man Jesus. And then literally walked in this world. And you read through the Gospels, you see time and time again where it talks of Jesus walking here or walking there. Jesus literally walked in this world so he could walk in the paths for us. So he could go the direction we were meant to go. So he could live the way we were meant to live. So that his path could ultimately lead him, not just in this world, but to a cross. And his path will lead him to that cross. So on that cross, he could take all the poison that we had earned for ourselves by our sin. He could take it and absorb it himself so it would no longer be on us. The poison is no longer on you. He went to this cross so he could absorb all the ways that our sins have damaged the environment around us, the world around us. He could take the consequences of sin on himself so they are no longer on you. The poison is gone. The consequences have been absorbed. He paid for them there. His path led him to a cross. And then his path went on beyond a cross to an empty tomb. This Lent season, I encourage you as you, as you as you walk places. And maybe especially, you know, on these, today is a little rainier and stuff, but yesterday when I started this video, it was beautiful out. When you go for a walk, think about what direction are you walking in your life? Where, what path are you on? And as you think about ways that you have gone off the path, 
see that your Savior leads you back on the path to this cross where he shows you, where he reminds you that he absorbed the poison and the consequences for you. But then see that because his path led him here, your path goes through a cross to an empty tomb. You are set on a new path where you can step forward knowing that all the poison, all the consequence, it's been removed. You are living with eternity ahead of you. And you are now walking with a shepherd who leads you in paths of righteousness. Again and again in your life, when you see you've gone off path, let God lead you back to that cross. And then step forward and see that he is leading you towards an empty tomb. He is leading you to hope ahead. You have a shepherd who leads you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And that's going to restore your soul. Our fourth Passion History reading deals with Jesus' suffering under Pontius Pilate. <clears throat> to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourself and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, the Jews objected. This happened so that the words Jesus had spoken, indicating the kind of death he was going to die, would be fulfilled. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Christ, a king. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Do you think that I'm a Jew, Pilate replied? It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you're right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Pilate asked. With this he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear how many things they're accusing you of? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. But the chief priest insisted. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all of the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased, because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform some miracle. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers of the people, and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence. And have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod.
for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he's done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. Now, it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, because I have suffered a great deal today in a dream on account of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. This ends the session four of the Passion reading.